I didn't know if anyone wanted to um, had any um, questions or anything from the talk. So is it possible to direct the attention to what we call the chitta? Mm. Yes. Yes, there's a there's um there's actually a teaching in the suttas where um uh the great monk Anuruddha goes to Sariputta and uh, talks about, um, you know, he's known as the foremost in psychic powers and foremost in mindfulness and foremost in almost everything. He was like an incredible practitioner. So he goes to Sariputta and says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm foremost in all these things. I'm sort of paraphrasing and um, shortening it um, now, partly because I can't remember the whole list. <laughs> um, but I still suffer. You know, so I'm still suffering. Like, I have all these accomplishments. And Sariputra said, well, you know, it's partly to do with your sense of self-conceit and your restlessness that you're experiencing. You know, you're still looking for something more, maybe, or that sense of self. And then he, he turns, he said to uh, Anuruddha, turn your mind to the deathless. Turn your mind to the deathless. So the tension that's going out into the objective world, that manovinyana that's creating and generating that separative consciousness, that's the training. At first you're training vipassana, you're training it to slow down and look at those objects like the frames of the movie and seeing them through the lens of anicca, dukkha, nata, etc., etc., that whole tension. But eventually, you know, in the chan or the zen or, or the turn your mind, it comes out of the Theravada, the turn your mind to the deathless or the signless, anudasana, vinyana, the signless consciousness. You can't, there's no, you can't find a sign or a letter, you know, it's not. But you turn, you start to, you know, in the Zen, they call it the great return. You're starting to turn the mind back into. And so for that, sometimes some different methodologies are helpful. You know, like the question who, you know, is like who's thinking. And, you know, so you're not just looking at the object of thought. It's like you're exploding, whoops, exploding the whole kind of premise of me looking, who, who's witnessing. You know, so you start, it's like an inquiry, like the koan. It's not so much looking for the answer, but it's just to stop the momentum. And it, it's a moment of recognition of, of the awareness. Um, so, or the instruction to Bahia that the Buddha gave in the scene is just the scene, the herd is just the herd of thinking. It's another way of, of, of um, going to the non-dual. Um, the contemplation of another way in is, you know, our teacher used to talk about Ajahn Smedo. Um, you know, in London, because we were trained in the monasteries in the UK, you know, when you get on the tube train, like your subway, it goes, when you step up, it goes, mind the gap. He used to teach mind the gap. You know, that there's always gaps. It's like in the matrix, you know, you're in the mind. It's like, but there's gaps. There's loads of gaps and there's loads of inconsistencies. You know, when you look at the mind, it's actually, it's a little crazy. You know, it's full of inconsistencies and holes and gaps. And, it, and, um, and you can start to notice that. And so what's in the gap? And rather than fill it up, you increase the gap. You know, gaps between thoughts, gap between here and there. Um, you know, another one is, you know, just looking, you know, like he would train you to, when you go into a room like this, 
you look at all that how many people what people who's here do i know them don't i know them you know all the rest of the way we define everything but it's all happening in the space do you notice the space so the space never changes but the content changes so we're so obsessed with the content it's like the mind is so obsessed with the content you know like the forest master ajahn um, tate taught you know to notice the difference between mind and the activity of mind to notice the space is like noticing the jitta or the awareness so noticing the awareness um, and eventually that you know who's noticing begins to that's like the stepping stone you know and that starts to dissolve in just awareness just awareness so there's definitely methods to turn that to turn you know back the mind and it kind of gets pretty interesting and it's um something we can practice actually regardless of what's going on you know another method that our teacher used a lot was listening to sound and interestingly enough although he didn't teach it in that context that is kuanyin's method of awakening listening to sound and what's called like if in the sutta says if sound disappears does the does the listening disappear you know so there's there's sound and then maybe that sound but there's still the listening so it's like if the content dissolves does the awareness collapse no there's still that which is is you know that which is is and so we're recognizing there's that which is you know it's not dependent on the conditions therefore it's called the unconditioned it's not dependent on stuff being there it just is so when the buddha talked about himself he he named himself the tagata the one that's dwelling in such in isness that's how he most talked about himself and i think that's a really gives us a clue as well suchness so it's like you know it's always that here and now so um you know my partner kitty sara likes to use the koan what remains what's always here what remains you know it's all you know I'm getting on the subway i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm going to work and then listening to the news i'm going to also very reactive about the news and and so on but what remains and you can you can contemplate that you can contemplate in the moment you can contemplate it as a theme what remains when the world system dies you know from that level right to what remains when this thought disappears so there's quite a lot of ways into that contemplation of turning the mind to the deathless yeah. great question mm. yes so my question is about who must itara sadhyama jyotin deliverance and senses as okay. I am asking if there is a practice in this piece around oppression and it's kind of like what I understand that you say is that all things are already free and um, how do I see Well, that's not always so. No, it's not always so, uh, but it, it can be so in terms of this is a internal experience. It's not a it's not a um 
it's not a spiritual bypass about the state of the world and saying it's already free. It's clearly not. There's massive amounts of oppression and inequality and uh, that needs to be addressed. And we'll look at that tomorrow more. Um, but even if you are, you know, like in the most oppressed experience um, or the most suffering experience, there is, I mean, uh, there is a way that you can be with that where you're not suffering, adding to the suffering. You know, that, that by recognizing that there is that, you know, it's a bit like you can do what you like to me, but ultimately there's, there's that which that will never die. There is that which always is. There is that which is already free. You know, and when you're in touch with that, and when we look at the great heroes of the people that have struggled against massive oppression, partly why they've been able to do what they've done, because they're so in touch with the underlying truth, and they can bring that forward, you know, and that sort of transcends even the fear of death. Or, um, but you know, that's the higher practice. You know, I look at say Mr. Mandela in South Africa, and what he was able to produce as a consciousness. You know, that came through 27 years more of through the fire of what he went through that he distilled. You know, like it's a story that, for example. Um, after his freedom, and um, when he was the prime minister, the minister, you know, prime minister of South Africa, um, he came to um, a town near where, where we, the centre where we were guiding teachers for many years in KwaZulu Natal, and um, we know this story from one of the bodyguards that was um, that lives near to us now. Um, where Domagiri is, and, and, and uh, he, the, this particular town, there was a lot of turf wars between the, the African National Congress, the ANC, and the Nkata Freedom Zulu Party, which were generated and inflamed by the apartheid government. You know, so it was divide and rule strategy, but it was still um, basically a low-grade war. And when we arrived in South Africa, that was wasn't exactly at its height, but it was still going on. You know, our first retreat in, in the village near us, there was, you know, there was a, a Christmas, twitching Christmas retreat, and over a hundred people in, in that skirmish were killed. So it was very real violence going on. And he was, um, there was one particular town that was ruled quite near us, that was ruled by the head of the uh, this like mafia guy, really, of this Encarta Freedom Party. And they had been killing the ANC members. And so Mr. Mandela wanted to visit this town. And his, his whole security detail said, we'll take you there in a bulletproof car, but you cannot get out and walk through this town. I mean, <coughs> they were really frightened that he would, he would be shot and killed. And apparently he turned around to them and said, well, what use is my freedom if I can't walk in my own country? So he asked to be taken there. He got out the car and he walked down the road. And the whole, you know, apparently his, well, his presence was something to behold. You know, the quality of his presence was, was street, st- extraordinarily regal and also like a darshan, a tremendous sense of presence and um, strength and um, you could feel it come into a room and uh, I've been in a room with him with a thousand people so maybe not that many but like everyone just goes like to a magnet 
that quality of presence. Um, and he, he walked through that town and the whole place just, that the Buddha would call it the stilling of Sankara. The whole thing was, you know. Um, that is the product of someone that learnt freedom in the heart of oppression, but also generated that bodhicitta and took it out into a violent, divided um, world. And for a moment on the world stage held something. You know, it wasn't, you know, it's those karmas don't get resolved because that's the, 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 that's the power of karma. There's still a lot that he couldn't heal. It's too big. But those examples are important for us. You know, those examples that even in the midst of suffering, impo- coming up from our own process or imposed externally, we don't have to suffer from the suffering. And it doesn't mean to say that we're not going to act to alleviate the oppression. You know, that clearly the Buddha acted. You know, he did a lot of alleviation of oppression at systemic levels, not just internally sit there and meditate. But it, you know, it is a complex question because it can sound like, you know, it doesn't matter. You just be free internally and leave the world to, you know, leave don't deal with that's not um, I don't think that's a complete message I don't think it really reflects um, the Buddha's actual life and what, what he was um, the precedent he set through his example mm. Mm. I had a, uh, thank you. I had a question about the use of word radiance mm. and could I struggle sometimes because um, I've had a lot of background with social Tibetan mm. aspects of mm. that sort of way of seeing things that are pretty strong and rigid. Suttas a lot, and I think that word, the, the luminous nature, it's mm. a numerical discourse mm. one time, but I kind of, mm. kind of not anywhere else. So I kind of sometimes feel like I'm trying to transpose one thing on the other. And I wonder if it, can you sort that out at all? Um, I think part of our difficulty is that we've read a lot of stuff. And it creates a lot of... I mean, it's good, we need to, because it helps point us to the territory, but then we have these ideas that superimpose on top of experience and realisation, so obviously we want to get to the realisation. I think these are just terms. You know, even the term nibbana is just a word. It's not the actuality. And then they become very... They become bigger than the, the actual, what they're pointing to. So, you know, this, this is a term that comes out, the... You know, it's one of the few terms that they would have talked about the nature of the jitta, the unobstructed jitta. He used the word um, pabasaro, which is means luminous or radiant. So it's it's you can't actually describe what awareness is. You know, you, you could say it's light, it's lumin, it's illuminating. You know, you could say it's illuminating what it's looking at. <laughs> you know, so it's. You know, when you, you're illuminating the, you know, dukkha, or you're illuminating, you know, through, so, so, you know, in that way. But you can't really say, you know, it's like you think of a light, or, you know, you know, that's just an analogy. You know, so actually, what we're, what when we say turn to the mind of the deathless, we're going to have to go beyond the cognitive. You know, and all of those forms and metaphors that we've been working with, Tibetan to Theravada and so on, 
So I think the point is, is let's see if we can actually practice to taste this ourselves. Yeah. Um, you could say the, the deep depth of the dark mystery. You know, the prajna, you know, that's another way of talking about um, the, the unknowing um, reality, the unconditioning reality. You know, it's not without intelligence in it. It's not without, um, you know, wisdom and, you know, it's dynamic intelligence, but it, it's, it's, it's precognitive. So, you know, so in that way, it's like looking into the depth of the night, infinite sky at night. You know, it, you'd also say it's like infinity. You can't really put a description on it. You know, so, so these are like metaphors, really, um, for what is beyond metaphor. So I think in a way, when we're practicing, we, we take what helps us. You know, some people find this metaphor helpful, another that one. You know, but as long as we understand that they're pointers, not the actual direct realization, then we should be okay. <laughs> Yes. Yes. He's just saying about Ajahn Chah eating the banana. Yeah. You got to eat the banana ourselves. (laughs) And on that note, maybe we should finish the evening. (laughs) Yeah, because I think we reached our our limit. So we'll see you, hopefully, some of you tomorrow. If you can join us, it'd be great. Seb will join us and we'll we'll plunge deeper into this territory, or more into this territory. Yeah. Good night, everyone. Thank you so much. It's great to meet you.